0: Manny had another one of those things. He said, "When when somebody really does something skillful, you, you're not even angry. You're just, oh, that was good."
1: This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Patrick, how you doing? Mm. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Glenn, Glenn, uh, glad to be here. Good to talk to you.
1: Yeah, likewise. Yeah, we, we gave this a take one uh, a little way back at, um, at an instructor's gathering down at uh, Stacey's, uh, Stacey's place. But uh, I think recording quality was quite up to scratch that night. It was, had nothing to do with our inebriation whatsoever. So, no. so we'll, uh, we'll just go no. back to you right away. Lovely
0: accommodations at Chateau Louis.
1: Exactly. Yeah. What a place. Let's, uh, let's definitely do that one again. That was a that was a rough gig. You know, just hanging around by it's the pool. True. By the pool. Yeah, Defo. So um, so we obviously know each other very well, and uh, we've been training together for nearly ten years now. I think I want to say I met you maybe about two thousand and eight, something like that. Two um, thousand. Yeah, that would be right. Yeah. So it's uh, there's been a decade of 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 laughs and training and punches in the face, which is I very much appreciate. Um, but for those who uh, haven't come across you in training or at seminars and stuff like that, uh, who are you? Uh, what do you do? And where do you train?
0: uh well my name is Patrick McLean I'm in Matthews North Carolina which is on the east side of Charlotte um a small town and uh so we, I have a school there. I have a kids program called Roughhouse Play, and then uh, Sistema Matthews. We, we've, uh, I guess, we've got classes going again for the last last three months. We've got four or five people, and it's going well. So
1: great, yeah. Well, definitely, um, I really want to talk quite extensively about Roughhouse and what motivated you to start that, and what, how you pick the name, and how you manage the classes, all that kind of stuff. Um, but first, so do you uh, have you been in Sistema, kind of. Uh, since the beginning kind of thing or did you drop in after training other martial arts for a while? What's, what was your kind of pedigree in your running?
0: Well I did um, I did Aikido for a while. I started on Aikido like you did and then and then did you know a smattering of things because I was curious and you know not um, not I suppose um, I didn't have blinders on so I did some you know just a, any, anybody who was good I would, I would go train with hmm. uh, and then um, I started doing uh, uh, Daito Ryu well mm. it's very very Ropokai, which is which is very um i don't know it's 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 soft and it's smart it's still formal in Japanese but has some you know systema like uh, qualities to it mm. and then uh, uh mark jacobson used uh used the dojo I was teaching in and training at uh uh for a demonstration mm. and i came up and <laughs> and mark he put his hand on my stomach and he said um i'm i'm gonna touch you in the liver mm. I was like, all right, this is ridiculous. And he went, Pish! and I saw a flash of white, mm-hmm. and I was in pain, and I stepped backwards, and I had this moment where I was like, okay, I got to know how you did that. <laughs> okay, you did that. <laughs> that was it. I was hooked. And the, what really made the transition, so I did both for a while, mm-hmm. and I started noticing how I felt after coming out of an Aikido class, yeah. and felt after coming out of a Sistema class. Mm. And every time I would come out of Sistema, I would feel better. And I would be more relaxed, even though people had been punching me. Mm-hmm. I came out of an aikido. I would be tight, and I would be achy, and I like I, I discovered I, 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 I. This seems so stupid now, but I guess it's ten years in. Oh, I was holding my breath when I rolled. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just just building up this tension, this nastiness in the body the whole time. So mm-hmm. that's kind of I. Um,
1: how I got. You know, pulled in. Roped in by another one from the Mark Jacobson camp, definitely. He's roped a few people in, I think. And, then, yeah.
0: and then I guess the thing is, and since since you know anybody knows Aikido, or the, the, one of the things that really, I guess the the way I kind of got sold on that was the idea of Takamusu Aiki, which, mm-hmm. I mean, you speak Japanese better than I do, so i yeah. um, far Take, better. Takemusu. Take-us. Take-us. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the idea that it's creative it's in the sure. moment it's, it's a yeah. martial creative thing and i was like yes that's genius that's exactly what i want and i was really drawn to that mm. and aikido didn't pay it off or i won't say that i'll just say that um that system is just like yes i can't do the same technique twice you have to that, mm. that's the whole thing that's after that i was just i'm all in
1: so, so you did train them both concurrently for a while and attempt to kind of juggle them, did you? Um, and then at some point you dropped off on the Daito Ryu and just went full on Sistema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And and then the weird thing in the Sistema are the Aikido classes. I was really doing Daito which is that those little motions hidden in the beginning of the Aikido techniques. And, um, so. Yeah, I just I just couldn't I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And the the other thing, and, and you, you can talk to Christy, my wife, about this too. Is she's like, she's like all these systemic people. They just seem to be a little better. They just seem happier and more well adjusted. Mm. And I, I don't I don't know if that's true of every group, but um, it was true of the the different groups. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know that that the people who punch each other trust each other for some really Wrestle and just I don't know. It's it's more it's more freedom, which is a theme we'll come back to when we get to roughhouse.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely um there's trust is a, something I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially since reading, um, a lot of uh, Yuval Noah Harari stuff recently. You know the uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus, and he talks um, a lot in there about how a lot of the problems that have that seem to be happening right now, and the kind of segregation of society, and the polarization of politics, and all these things, um. Are to a large extent a breakdown in trust in our kind of social constructs, right? So, if you, you know, money is an imaginary thing that everybody agrees that the value is whatever it is, you know, at a given time. Um, you know, the United States of America is an imaginary entity which we defend, right? And, and we all agree that it's a thing and it's bordered by these geographical areas and that we all represent ourselves either in this way or that way or abide by certain laws or the Constitution or whatever it's going to be Um, and even like human rights and stuff like that right none of these are natural right none of these are given to us by evolution or nature Um, and they we built them and and we keep them and we maintain them over time or marriage you know that's another one as well right it's based entirely on trust and the idea that you know it's you and me and and not other people unless we negotiate otherwise or something like that but when that trust erodes (laughs) when there's when there's no trust or it goes away um, then there's, there's no reason why we should agree on these imaginary things that we're holding up. And then we get into serious trouble. We get into trouble about what we think the value of money is or what we think the United States is or what we think marriage is, you know, those kinds of things. And that's, so that whole idea that Sistema exposes you to risk, right, and, uh, and things that could hurt you, and yet we're, ch- we're practicing trust in a, in, in a sense, right? in a risky environment, I think it's, it works as a really interesting antidote to a lot of things that are going on elsewhere in society. I, I don't know if you want to... Run on that. You're a super smart, politically minded guy, so I know you probably got something. Well, else. yeah, <laughs> I
0: think that um, I think that I would say that some of the things that you mentioned aren't imaginary. So uh, one but of the
1: things—imaginary—is is a strong word. They're, they're intersubjective realities, right? They're not entirely yeah. subjective, but we all agree on what they are, right? They're not independently—they don't exist independently of human beings, right? If we right. went away, they would be gone. Like, you I got, know, I the so. cockroaches I, I, wouldn't maintain them. So <laughs> I, I, understand,
0: I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Uh, Some of those things aren't intersubjective reality. So there are things that are baked into evolution and play like, for example, play is one of those things. And also the idea there's there seems to be a basic fairness that has a a biological substrate. So if you if you look at play in animals, Hmm. a big rat will play with a little rat. But if the big rat, and they'll wrestle, and mm. if the big rat doesn't let the little rat win 30% of the time, the game stops. Mm. So they have an interest in figuring out how to work that thing out interpersonally. Mm. Um, to, uh, to, so the game can go on, because the instinct for play and the circuits for play mm. are as old as sleep. Sure. So something really powerful going on there. So I think, I think some of the societal things um, that you're talking about arise from activity that's much more like play than it is constructed. Sure. So what I, what I'll say about what you said about Systema is the interesting thing is, um, it's it's a distance or it's a lack of a lack of contact that leads to these these problems. A lot of these problems is that you're just not um, engaging honestly with someone. Yeah. And I think great training, you're engaging honestly with someone, mm. um, and and you're 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 trying to help them get better. I mean, you said this thing um, that one of the things, or it's one of the things I try and. Uh, that I try and teach the whole time. And whenever, like, uh, whenever Roy and I get together, you know, when we bring people, one of the things I try and do, and I, I don't know how to get this across, but you and I do it too. Mm. It's when we train, we train in a way that we're trying to maximize the amount that we're learning. Yeah, And it's very playful.
1: Sure. It yeah.
0: hurts sometimes. Yeah. And, like, if you catch me in something, I'm really happy. If I catch you in something, sure. I'm really happy, and then we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. But we're, we're moving in a way that is – it's more playful and exploratory because that's the fastest way to learn.
1: Sure.
0: And I don't think that – I think that a lot of um, – I think there's the, – the thing that's different or that builds that trust is that you get a lot of information about somebody's internal state when, when they touch you or you touch them.
1: Mm.
0: There's just a lot of stuff that – I mean, you know, like – I don't quite know how to explain this, but when you train with somebody, well, one of the classic things was like, uh, in, it was either rock climbing or golf. If you go rock climbing with somebody, you know what they're really like. If you play golf with somebody, you know what they're really like. And I think that's true. You get somebody on a mat, and if you've had some experience and you see their, like, Manny said this thing that was great, which is he had everybody lay down and he goes, Everybody shows me their injuries when they lay down. And that was, I don't know, a seminar seven years ago. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I don't know how I did that. Now yeah. I asked everybody to lay down. I'm like, what's wrong with your hip?
1: Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. Even in the process of getting to the ground, you can watch them and like, whoa, that's a- <laughs> something stuck there. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. That's, um, so, so. Let's let's get on. Let's, let's run with that now because we've we've broached the subject of play and and how much you value it. Um, so, how did you come to create Rough House, which is essentially systema for kids with some old school kind of rough house type games thrown in and artfully kind of woven together? Right. Um, what was um what was your motivation for starting that? And how long has it been running? And uh, and what does it look like?
0: Um, well, that's a lot of stuff in one question. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm a horrible
1: t- interviewer. It's fine. Just go with it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, but you've been in the conversation, so we'll work it out. Um, well, uh, it, there's this thing that happens when the, that when kids go to kindergarten now, because the the world is a bit overprotective. Yeah. Um, they they told my son this was this was maybe seven. it was, it was a while ago, um, maybe a year ago now. They told my son that he was not allowed to play tag in the mere 22 minutes of recess they gave him in Mm -hmm. kindergarten um and i I went okay that's that's ridiculous i mean that's just ridiculous And there was a couple other things that happened in there and i really started paying attention to wait a second how much free time do these kids get to play
1: yeah
0: and what kind of play are they engaging in
1: yeah
0: what happens when they have a, a a conflict so what happens literally right now um is that if one kid gets in an altercation with another kid, three adults show up and immediately separate them and the kids never talk to each other again. Yeah. So they never get a chance to learn how to work out their differences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, given, given my background, uh, you know, the, the background that we share, training has always been very playful for me, even though it can be very serious. Um, but it's, it's always brought me the physical sensation of joy in my life, even when things have been tough and it doesn't even matter what it is, yeah. like, oh, jujitsu, dietary, whatever. It's just made me happy. Um, cause I'm solving problems and I'm working with the body and my, I have to pay attention to my internal state and all that stuff. Um, so I, I, I just, I thought there was something terribly wrong with the way that, um, we're doing something terrible to our children basically because yeah. we're not giving them the freedom to explore. And one clue was unlocked in um, uh, Constantine's book. Hmm. He has a little bit in there about how people used to develop themselves and they used to do it by playing games and kids used to do it by playing traditional children's games.
1: But yeah.
0: there wasn't necessarily, you know, they're winners or losers, but it wasn't an organized sport. And then you look at where the best soccer players in the world come from, and actually, you probably have two. Do you probably have two places? Germany and Brazil. Hmm. Germans very organized. The Brazilians, they don't. They don't. There aren't kids. There aren't youth soccer leagues. Right. There's not money for that. The younger kids play with the older kids. Play with the older kids. Play with the older kids, and
1: um, the skills I, come down the pipe.
0: Right, but it's also, it's also free and creative play. They'll play anywhere with anything like…
1: Um, Which says a lot about the difference between the, the Brazilian national football team style versus the German national football team style. Not to disparage the Germans, but they have a very uh, structured, organized, strategic type of play, whereas the Brazilians are renowned for like, free creative movement and they just kind of seem to feed off of each other and, and kind of move organically across the pitch.
0: Right, and and I don't even know that much about soccer, but the Brazilian, the, what the Brazilian national team does with Brazil, it just looks beautiful to me. Yeah, I mean gorgeous. Right, uh, uh, and if if you think about, you want to turn out factory workers. Well, you don't need free and creative play for that. Now you need, you know, discipline and conscientiousness and all that stuff. But I don't see that there's going to be that many factory jobs around. So when I think about what I want for my kids, yeah, um, they need they need to be well socialized and be able to deal with others. Um, negotiate and stand up for themselves and you know strike a balance and resolve conflict all that all that kind of stuff and they need to be creative because yep. the world is changing um so yeah. fast uh so uh, there's a bunch of examples but uh also for health um just i mean like i don't have to explain this to you just moving in some way intuitively mm-hmm. and just going for a walk
1: yeah um, Especially outside. There's a lot of research that shows that play and movement outside is like, um, in terms of health benefits, it's like exercise squared. You know, it's like literally the, the result is exponentially more than being on the treadmill indoors or doing some repetitive thing on a weight machine.
0: Why aren't all These like we're, we're, we're wired to understand the environment and like mm-hmm. played, we played hide and seek. Uh, there's a, there's a kind of a wooded park across where you have the thing. So whenever, especially on Saturdays, whenever, um, I can get them outside, I get them outside. Hmm. And I just remember this moment because I grew up playing in the woods, basically,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, there's these bushes, and I saw something move in the bush, and you know, it's out of the corner of your eye and everything fires, and I'm like, man, that is a, that is a primeval circuit right. uh, It's being rewarded right there to go get that kid in the bush. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, And then halfway through um, I guess I guess two or three months in, the National Academy of Pediatrics came out with this um, clinical recommendation. And basically they said, if you, if, if you could put it in a pill, play would be a wonder drug for kids. Yeah, And they've told every pediatrician in the United States to, to talk to their parents about how much free play yeah. and rough and tumble play yeah. that their kids are getting.
1: Yeah, they speak specifically about risk as well. You know, I know I did some work with the uh, nearby North Carolina Museum of um, life and science. Um, A few years ago, they were putting together a grant and I was uh, helping to write this grant and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it went through the first time, but they got some funding from somewhere else. And they essentially wanted to build this kind of big outdoor adventure parky type place. I mean, the place is phenomenal anyway. It's not really like a museum. It's like about a third of it is indoors and two thirds of it is like big wooded walkways when they have bears and red. Red wolves and like all lemurs and all kinds of things. So it's like a part zoo, part uh, you know, part museum, and it's it's beautiful. And they had like a space which was just essentially like a kid's playground to begin with, with kind of kind of identity kit, you know, the, squ- the squishy gravel stuff that they put down to make sure kids don't get too hurt when they fall off of the apparatus, and then the uh, you know the, the steel construction with the rounded edges, so there's no splinters and nothing else going on. They used to have like a whole bunch of those, and uh, and when they refurbed it, they're like, we want to just make a big mountain. With like stuff that kids can climb up on, and like kind of ropes and like stuff, they can, and they can fall and they can hurt themselves. And this, you know, like not to, yeah. you know, put this out there for them, but basically, in the grant, is like they need to feel risk. They need to feel. Like the genuine risk of falling and tumbling and, you know, understanding that some things are too high for them. If they don't want to go up there, don't go up there. It's fine, you know, and stuff like that. And they just essentially built this kind of big adventure play thing. And I think it got a little bit downscaled from the, the initial initial scope when some people in the NSF were kind of nervous about what it might look like if they had too many people falling and getting hurt and things. But now it's fantastic. And my you know my kids have been there and, um, and absolutely love it. And it's this big open free play area where kids are just encouraged to embrace this kind of adventure land of movement and stuff. And, and then there's resurgences of it, I think, you know, I think the whole, I think part of the growth of parkour over the last 20 years has been partly a response to this kind of feeling caged in in cities, right? And then these French guys got together and, and we're like, look, we can treat the cities like a monkey landscape and just move across it in any three dimensional way we want. And, and I think part of the, the motivation for people to be like fascinated by that, if not doing it, then at least like watching clips on YouTube and stuff like that has been this kind of this primal kind of like, yeah, I should be doing that. You know, I should be moving in three dimensions all day long. I'm just not, you know, there's, and there's this kind of internal deficit, which is being fed by these things. But I mean, for for my part, we just moved house to Hillsborough, North Carolina um, from where we were in Chapel Hill. And initially we moved to Chapel Hill because the school's, supposed to be really good there and all that kind of stuff and and would be closer to where uh, my in-laws live for help with the kids um but then the longer we lived there and after sean went through elementary school and he was getting ready to go to kindergarten we realized that these great schools allow almost no time outside and they're basically for that you know they'll start them on chinese when they're five or six to try and give them a head start in the world and they're like you know starting them on uh, geography and hardcore fact-based subjects that probably will essentially be you know regurgitation based learning later on which they might not might not need um and they're just not getting very much time outdoors and there's a high emphasis on on engagement with digital technology they have like an hour of like free ipad time a day which i don't think any kid needs do you know i mean they they can discover technology easily enough on their own they don't need to be taught about how to Mm -hmm. use an ipad Mm -hmm. most of them can use it better than you know me at this point like straight away if you're over the age of six um but the school where he's going to now this montessori school where heather's actually teaching and heather became very um enmeshed with Outdoor play, and she, my wife, she teaches these outdoor play classes for little kids as well. You know, it's called Tinker Garden. Um, and we ended up going looking through a bunch of schools and things like that and settling on this Montessori school and partly because it's in this lovely wooded environment and the kids have a minimum of three outdoor play periods per day. So they're out like a so, minimum of like an hour to an hour and a half every day. And everything is geared around the natural world and exploration and they choose their own curriculum. And it's, and Sean's thriving. He's doing math because he loves math. But it's, he's associating it with stuff that's going on outside and counting things and you know physical things. And it's it's so much... Preferable to me to, to to the kind of status quo of how education is pushed to kids at the moment. It's it's they're kind of cutting off the nose to spite their face. I think probably with the beginning of the no child left behind thing, and the idea that we just need to cramp take away physical education because we need to make more space for homework and stuff. Otherwise we'll fall behind other countries. Um, but the the reverse is true. Yeah. The reverse research has shown is absolutely we're we're killing our kids instead. We're making them dull and uninterested or that we're giving them ADHD essentially because they, they desperately want to move and we're forcing them to sit still in these rooms and be lectured at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So literally, um, there's a guy named Jak Pongsep who, uh, one of the experiments he did is he found that if you deprive rats of play, juvenile rats have play, they develop the exact symptoms of ADHD
1: yeah.
0: and you can treat them with the exact same drugs that we used to treat kids, hmm. but it absolutely kills the play drive. Hmm. So, um, yeah, the, uh, I'm, and I'm not saying that every situation with that, cause we, we've, um, every kid is that situation. But I think that a lot of, so for example, we have a, we have a kid who's coming to us and he's a bit of a handful his mom brought him in, and it was the first time. The first time she shows up, she's really nervous. And I went over and I said, what, "What's going on?" And she said, this, she, "The kid's seven. Mm. and she said, "This is the first time he's played with a group of children." Yeah. And I'm not saying that there might not be something else going on.
1: Mm.
0: This kid, who's alternately he's he's really sweet, um, and he's also a monster. But that's like that. If you watch any kid, <laughs> that's every that's everybody. Mm. Um, but. The root problem is you've never played with other children.
1: Yeah.
0: And like you, you can see them through interactions, just figure out how to deal with whatever emotions they've got going on. Yeah. And get through the thing. Yeah. Um, and if we, if we don't give them the freedom to knock each other around a little bit and resolve their differences. Yeah. the, The explosion of joy. I can't. So here's how, here's how we start out every class. Um, I have some things out. Like for a long time, it was kickball tag. So I got this um, green ball that's slightly heavier than a beach ball, but not like a playground ball. Mm-hmm. And the goal was you can't use your hands to run around and try and kick a ball in, into someone else as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. It's just a pack of kids running around. You can't hurt each other. And then sort of, to show them that I would walk around and just blast this ball as hard as I could Mm. like into their face. It doesn't hurt. It just, it's it's lightweight. Right. Um, and they just, so they just run around and then they get all nice and warmed up. Uh, and then we play different games. And one of the things that I, that I'm doing lately, that's quite good. And you'll love this, uh, is if they get too excited, um, I just have them lay down and roll around on the floor.
1: Yeah.
0: And on their own, no one ever suggested this like they didn't know what to do at first on their own they now just wind up in a big puppy pile rolling all over each other like we
1: <laughs> just naturally they just gravitate like like kid gravity it's just a mass it gets drawn together <laughs> <Just> <laughs> squirming,
0: squirming mass. um so I, I teach a little bit of falling and rolling but mostly what i do is I, you know i give them the opportunity to fall and roll and not kill themselves yeah, so we have sure. matted area well we have like two mats basically that we use for games but then it's just basically a wood floor mm. and nobody has really gotten hurt so there's a there's a game that we play with a um a big blue ball like a yoga ball mm. um and the game is you, you have to get the ball to the other end and touch the wall and your team gets a point so there's two teams yeah and the teams are very fluid <laughs> oh. yeah. but uh initially i was like you got to be laying down you got to do this or, whatever and then finally i was just like i don't care kick it throw it but and turn it into a rugby scrum whatever so we've been yeah. doing that uh for the last month and what's interesting is they'll dive on the ball they'll tackle each other they'll pull each other off and they go to the ground so beautifully
1: yeah
0: i mean we worked up to that with you know you're walking and you're going to the ground a little bit mm. and a little breathing but mostly it, i'm trying to teach those principles mm. and breathing through games yeah just totally through games mm. it works yeah um, uh, even they, they become technically proficient at wrestling through games. Like every once in a while, it'll be like you could try this, and one kid will try it, and everybody else picks up on it. So we 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 play a game called King of the Mat, where um, you have just a you know like a rectangular mat. It's pretty long, and two kids mm. are on either side on all fours. They slap the mat three times, and then you got to push the kid off. Mm. So you you could push them off the back, but the side presents a better opportunity because it's more narrow. Yeah. And they've gotten so good at this game hmm. and they, I mean, they love it. I can't even tell you how much they love it. Hmm. Uh, and kids will go on streaks and they'll get good, but the, the whole level of the group has come up playing the game. Hmm. Just really sophisticated, you know, movement. Um, uh, you know, a kid goes to push him and you spin all the way around, wind up behind him and push him off the mat. I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's tremendous.
1: Um, so it's very much experiential learning. You're not, you're not trying to make it too top down. You're just giving them the space. You give them the tools. You give them a few parameters, and then you just let the play evolve as the, as they see fit, basically.
0: Yeah, because and it's really made me rethink. Um, I don't know, any kind of technique based learning. Uh, you know, I, I and then we do sumo, we do sumo uh, depending on the group and. Like the way – well, here's the way I kind of I kind of work with them to get them to fall down, especially when we had smaller groups, is I would be on the mat. I was like, everybody get me. Mm. And then you gently take kids you know, to the ground and you ju- – just keep moving on the ground, moving. And I see how they fall down. Mm. And if they, if they have a little – you give them another opportunity. You push a leg out. And now you see how they go to the ground. And you work with them a little bit. And, and that just seems to be the best way mm. uh, to teach them that. When they were doing it all very well, I'm like, okay, now we can play sumo. Mm. And they – that's even better than the wrestling because there are. Uh, someone once said that a, a good game has wit, right? It, it has a, it. It has the potential for real humor in it. So if somebody's trying to a bigger kid's trying to bowl a little kid over, the little kid can just move out of the way,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's great. Um, oh,
1: inherently, it's, funny. <laughs> it's
0: inherently funny. But it, but it has. It's not just like slapstick. It's there's there's an elegance to it. There's a. Um, Manny had another one of those things. He said, when, when somebody really does something skillful, you, you're not even angry. It's yeah. just, oh, that was good.
1: Senior Systema instructor Emmanuel Manolakakis will be coming to Durham, North Carolina the weekend of January the 26th and 27th, 2019 for a two-day in-depth look at deep Systema principles entitled Systema Explorations Part 1. This seminar is currently priced at $240 for both days or $150 for one day only. Certified Systema instructors receive an additional 10% discount. The seminar is now close to sold out with less than 10 spots remaining. So don't delay. Register online today at ncsystema.com events. And if you heard our podcast episode with Vali Majd of Roots Dojo, British Columbia, you may have been intrigued by the idea of their intensive SIFS internships. Well, Roots Dojo is now taking applicants for the winter intensive at their secluded location on Denman Island, British Columbia. This is a unique opportunity to train twice a day, five days a week, under the watchful eye of Vali and his team. You can join for the full three months, or just drop in for a week. For more info, check www.rootsdojo.com. Many Thanks. Yeah, we find it right as you were saying. Like when we train together a lot of the time, if if, if you pull something on me and it was, it can be abrupt and even a little bit painful, or I a, like. Spin around and like hit the floor or something, and I laugh. You know, if that happens, I, I find myself laughing because it was a high quality movement, and you are surprised by how effective it is. And of course, if you are working with Vladimir, I spend half my time laughing, half my time like shrieking, and but half the other half of the time I'm laughing because I am just I just can't believe what he. I don't understand what he did. It was it was funny that I couldn't even get my head around it. It's like you tried to push something it disappeared, and you get that quality a lot. Um, but it's an interesting thing in that people see that, right? And with Michael too, you know, he's like a big you know, jolly monk, you know, people are attacking him and he's like, he has that little giggle and he's putting people down all the time Uh, and other people laugh as they're doing it. They can start with a serious face and then they, they find themselves laughing and kind of looking bemused and confused as it starts to work through. But it's funny that looking at that from the outside, it seems like it has nothing to do with fighting, right? So you could look at you know, like a good-natured sumo match like that, and be like, "Well, there's just kids pushing each other around, and they fell down. That has nothing to do with fighting." It's like, yeah, it does. It really does. You know, like it's, it's, they're learning if they're learning techniques so refined um, that the other person didn't know what happened, or it's such a kind of. Uh, and efficient or such an appropriate movement for what happened that it elicits kind of a relaxation and a, and a release of tension in the person that was on the receiving end of it. That's really refined fighting skill. I mean, in terms of how it relates to combat. So it's, but it's funny that people can't see that. They're like, well, you know, that's not, that's not teaching them fighting. They're just playing, right? In the same way that sometimes parents will go to uh, my wife's tinker garden class and they're like well the kids are just playing with water and pouring it around and making their own seesaws like what, what when are they learning something it's like this is it this is what they're learning right now like while they're playing it is the learning that they're not just we're not building up to some learning lesson we're going to do through play the play is the learning and it's the same thing i think with Systema, not just in kids classes but in adult classes too and there's an interesting thing in that you know if We can try and structure the adult classes a lot sometimes and, um, you know, work up to a specific theme and try and kind of edge someone towards a preferred reading of what we're trying to teach. But at the end of the day, like, probably the most valuable parts of the almost certainly the most valuable parts of every adult systemic class is where you just play, right. Is where you just, you you get given a parameter or concept, like you're not allowed to use your hands, but then you just have to figure stuff out, you know, and it might not be the movement that I showed or that Vladimir showed or whatever it is going to be. But what you find in that play is probably going to be more valuable and more long, like longer lasting and, um, more useful to you in the, in the long run than some cool move that you saw somebody do that you could now copy. Right. Yeah. The,
0: the, the body awareness, um, a lot of the warm-up and movement exercises you know that we do to get somebody get somebody moving correctly feeling their body, mm-hmm. being able to be uh, a bit more free. And then it, it, the question is how do you get how do you get people who are you know serious tough guys <laughs> quote, quote sure. unquote serious tough guys to free themselves up to play a little bit and get rid of that anxiety. I think that's the breathing, the movement and the massage mm. gives you freedom so that you can you can start to uh, explore.
1: Um, Do you think there's a security aspect to it too? Because certainly with kids... Um, you know, you can see some kids just love play for the sake of play, and they'll be. You don't have to convince them anything about. You no, know, we run a family class as well, right? And some kids, you set up the parameters, and they're like, "Great, I just get to play. I don't care whether I'm winning or losing or whatever's happening." And some kids, if they're not winning immediately, or if they don't feel like they're competent at whatever the game is, we'll get we're kind of mad about it, and they would rather sit out than play the game. And that carries all the way through to adulthood to me. And the people that I see stagnating. Are the ones that don't want to play in systema. You know that they're worried about making a mistake, and as a result, they don't make mistakes, they don't learn from them, and they don't move on. Right? They would rather not play the game, and they would rather just use what they already know or use their body weight to, you know, dominate you or, you know, basically do something that's not within the parameters of the play in order to take a shortcut that makes them feel better about themselves instead of be vulnerable enough to to play with the idea and sort of see what you can get out of it. Do you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, yeah. and the shortcut the shortcut only works if your if your skill is or your strength or whatever is so much better than the person.
1: Sure. But when
0: you run into somebody who knows something that you don't know, or you know, is of an equal skill level, all of a sudden the shortcut goes haywire, and you don't you don't have any other you don't have any other way to be. Sure. Um, I think this is this is how I would sort of play back that principle, and I ask myself the question: If you look at like Vlad, you look at somebody who's way better, advanced, more advanced than you. It can be anybody. Yeah. But what what are they really better at? And, um, you could say that they're better at, you could say that that Vlad vet is better than fighting, is better at fighting. And that's true. And he's better at regulating his nervous system. He's better at all this stuff. One thing I'm certain about is I, one thing I suspect, let's say, is that he gets more information out of training. He's better at training. Mm. He's just better at training than we are. Yeah. You know, which is why he continues to get better and get better seemingly at an increasing rate. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah. That's an important and, point. Yeah
0: and i think that when i started thinking about okay i i know a way to deal with a bunch of things right i'm not i'm not going to run out of, i'm not going to get too stuck in any one situation well, i want to get better at training um i want to get better at getting more information out of this and I, it became even more focused on play and freeing up other people to play and explore mm. because th- i think that's the real that's the real benefit of this method um a linear a linear method will teach somebody, okay, how do I deal with a grab from behind? All right, there are three ways to deal with the grab from behind. Just with like
1: it's <laughs> you just t- turned into Joko Willink there immediately. That was that was like <laughs> I think I think he
0: I think that guy's actually more sophisticated than that. I, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, uh, so um, uh, he um, or you know, and then they never work the distance between, you know, someone coming to grab you yeah or someone moving around behind you or moving in transition or all of those things and they never explore all right well i know i'm not supposed to move here what well, i think i'm not supposed to move this way or move here But what happens if i do move here what happens if i do get hit here yeah. what happens if i don't see the guy with the knife and and the guy stabs me with a knife what is there anything i can do
1: hmm.
0: you know rather than um and, and you just deal with a full range of reality hmm. um, Rather than a narrow, well, listen. You're supposed to attack like that. Come at me with this banana. You know, you're supposed to <laughs> yeah. you're supposed to attack like this. Um, and and again, that's 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 very playful and exploratory.
1: Um, it's a tricky thing, though, because there's definitely, and we've talked to at, at length about this with, in other podcasts and, and stuff like that as well. Someone kind of belabor the point, um, but the problem is that there is value to that technique-based learning and being, you know, here's three ways to deal with somebody from behind you in a, you know, in an MMA fight or whatever it's going to be. Um, th- th- there's, th- there's some value in that and you can get useful things out of it and you can get effective movements that, that actually work. So it, and it takes uh, time, sure, it takes yeah, time and I trust have. to develop the trust, uh, to develop like the, the emergent property of fighting skill and awareness and things like that out of system training and it's and it's it seems intuitively so much quicker to be like just tell me what to do and i'll do it and now i have the thing right it's a so you can see people grasping at that sometimes and and the problem is that if you tell something people something to do and you give them something real specific you have learned from your experience it works pretty well right and, the, and a lot of did active systems and other martial arts work on that basis because it transmits something. It gives them a feeling of confidence and a feeling like they have a cache of techniques they can use. But the problem is it, it doesn't translate all that well to chaos a lot of the time. I think and chaos is what we're going to
0: deal with. It. just doing that thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a there's a quote um, by Charles Ames. He's a designer. Uh, designed the Eames chair as a mid century designer, and he said that um, people aren't trained. To go through the process of re-understanding something they think they already know. I, I can't mm-hmm. remember. Mike was much better than that, but it was pointing out that, that like, if you really want to understand something, and this has happened to me, I don't know. I'm a professional writer, basically, and consultant. Yeah. It's happened to me three, three or four times with writing. It's happened to me three or four times with martial arts. Yeah. Where, and I don't know how this works. Like, I understood something, but it wasn't really the yeah. real thing. I, yeah. I have to. Rebuild my understanding of what's going on here. I'll give you a, give you a perfect example of, in Sistema. Um, I think it was. Uh, I, I think it was, it was with a seminar seminar with Manny, and he's like, "Listen, how you t- you have to touch somebody very gently so you don't excite them." And he's like, "It's going to take you three years, you know, five years to like the way you touch someone. Because if you touch them and you're excited, they're going to lock up and they're going to be impossible to move. But you can do the exact same movement and be relaxed." Hmm. <laughs> bring tension to them and then they'll they'll move for you like well i mean that just changes everything Mm because i thought i was learning a movement i'm not really learning a movement now i'm learning to work with somebody's nervous system on a different level Mm -hmm. i mean like just that idea uh, applied diligently to your training um but to your whole life like that changes everything
1: yeah so actually, so that's one thing I'd like to get onto, um, you know, towards the end here, is is your life as a creative as well. So in, in addition to, you know, teaching adult systemic classes and rough house classes for kids over there uh, near Charlotte in North Carolina. Uh, you've been a writer for very many years. You're also a musician. You're just a, a very creative kind of Renaissance man type guy, right? You're versed in a lot of different backgrounds. It's really fun to hang out with you because you can see connections between creative and well th- fields that are geared as kind of traditionally creative or kind of liberal artsy and kind of science and engineering type stuff. You can see a lot of funny parallels that other people don't necessarily see right away. Um, so have you found any kind of confluences of, found any kind of things that seem to translate across either from systema into writing right um mm-hmm. or from writing into systema has, has there been any kind of a mini epiphany that's kind of pushed one way or the other there's probably been a bunch but i'm just wondering if any any one of them jumped out or one that you felt recently
0: well i think at the most fundamental level um and i Systema has definitely helped with this there's, there's a couple of things one what i like about systema uh, is um, you're teaching someone to be themselves. Mm. You're freeing them up to be themselves because when you're really under pressure, if you're trying to do anything else other than, like, I'm very playful, so I laugh when I fight a lot, mm. play around, whatever it is, um, that's just the way I am. If someone is serious or someone's competitive, and you know, I'll see that in kids, like, they don't necessarily like to play for play's sake, but they can go at that in another way it may be a more competitive game and that's how they bring out the best in them. Mm. Some people, uh, move faster than others. Some people move slower. And I think that's been a, a tremendous thing, which is uh, how do I do this as me? Like I have enough time and skill and writing how, okay, how would I solve this problem in a way that no one else would solve it, but it's still a good solution. Mm. That's the thing that the world needs from a creative person, not you don't want to play. Like if you're playing a cover, of a song on the radio, mm. you play it note for note. Like, why? Who cares?
1: It's just not as, it's not as good as Stevie Ray Vaughan's, but it's not you either. <laughs> it's, it's,
0: Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. And even if you don't have the speed to play a solo uh, like that, you can still play something on the guitar that sounds great. I mean, yeah. with some work, mm. but you're not. And Stevie, you should you should play your style. Like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Well, there are there are styles that are precursor to him, but Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix wasn't trying to play like anybody else. Right. He started mm-hmm. off; he was certainly. Mm-hmm. Eric Clapton doesn't try and play like anybody else. He tries to play like Eric Clapton. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a that's an important principle. The other thing is, um, uh, working with fear, and working with your your own, and cultivating humility. I mean, if I was to think of one virtue that was almost entirely absent from the modern world, mm-hmm. it's humility.
1: Yeah.
0: And. I've really been having a nice run the last few years um, professionally, um, and a lot of it has come from the fact from being secure enough in myself. Well, personally and professionally, and being a father. I mean, you know, this this whole journey you go through is being secure in myself to realize just what I'm what I'm not. Yeah. You know, I, to, to be okay with the things that the skill or the understanding that to realize how much I don't understand. Yeah. And and then have, I don't know if this is going to make any sense. Have the courage to deal with as much of the unknown as I can handle at any given moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. not hide in the familiar, but just just bite off enough chaos uh, <laughs> and try to make sense of that, and do that little by little. And uh, I don't know. I don't know where else someone gets that.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe you could probably say traditionally people say, oh, with time and age and wisdom maybe you'll you know you'll realize that you don't know everything and you become more humble but you know I shudder to think you know I did a bit I don't write so much anymore, but I've written a few books in the past, you know, and, and wrote yeah, for a whole bunch of years. So. <laughs>
0: they my friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, cranked out a few. Um, but I, I shudder now to think of like the early days when I started writing and I just had this lovely editor, um, Gabby Morgan at Macmillan Books in, in London in the UK. And the first couple of books, I would write these science books, you know, and I'd be like, oh, this is really good science stuff. I know my science. I'm a trained, you know, undergrad scientist and did a master's in science communication. I know how to put the stuff down. Uh, and then I would farm it out both to her and then to these curators at the Science Museum. Um, and the curators who are editors for these science books were essentially very, very pedantic people who they locked away in little rooms and they didn't let, let them talk to yeah, the probably. public because they, they're kind of, you know, I'm an expert on penicillin circa 1917 and stuff like that, you know? And um, so you wouldn't want them talking to real people because they just annoy the hell out of them. Um, but their job was to be pedants, right? Their job was to go through this book and point out inaccuracies or things that they felt like were incomplete. And so that's exactly what they did. And they went through and like ripped and you know, big, you know, red pen. Like, oh, I don't think this is fully accurate. And like, yeah, but I'm trying to explain it to a 10 year old. And like, if you put the whole story in there, they're going to be bored before they even get past the first paragraph. And then, um, and so I would defend my writing as if like I already knew what the best way to write it was. And I know I left out this accuracy part because that's... And I put these lengthy responses to their edits, not just like, no, I'm going to leave it that way or yeah, thank you, sustained and change it. I would put these big little lengthy kind of court-like legal defenses of why I wrote it that way and why it was the best way. And then I'd write it back and forth and then Gabby would be like, trying to do this intermediary thing like, well, there's a point and there's... Maybe you need to do this for the flow. And I realized how much I was just defending the airspace around my idea of myself as a writer because I was new at it. I was, I was like, I'm trying am. I am, I'm, I'm a real boy. I'm a real writer. I can do this. And I was yes, desperate yeah, to convince yeah. him of that. And I've got knowledge and you should respect me and all that kind of stuff. And, and then as I wrote more books, mostly as a function of time i was just like i have got time to go through and put responses to people i'm like yeah yeah you might be right and then gradually kind of by attrition I, I came to appreciate the things they were trying to do and i took them on board or i didn't but i felt less defensive about my writing i'm like it is what it is and some you know i'm not good at some things i'm better at other things i've got my voice it's not perfect and this is what i do right and now when i write or i present i'm much more open i think to people telling me that it needs improvement and now I'm doing a lot of public speaking. I'm doing kind of speaking engagements and keynotes yeah. um, and even though I like to talk that doesn't necessarily translate to 20 minutes of talking at people because you have to be a lot you have to use different gesturing you have to pull people in in a different way you have to give them interactivity and, I, and I'm learning a lot from this public speaking group that I'm in about how to, how to do that um, and I don't think necessarily I would be gaining the lessons that I'm gaining now, if I hadn't been training systemic and currently with all this stuff and just got in the habit of being bad at stuff and having people correct you and not just people who are way better than you, but anybody, you know, like somebody that, you know, any training partner would be like, it's not really working and just getting in the habit of taking that feedback and criticism and, and, and doing something with it, you know? So for me, I shudder to think of the person that I might still be if I was still defending all of my work and my knowledge and my expertise, like the way that I was, when I was like, even when I was 30, you know, like, I was an ass when I was 24. I was less of an ass when I was 30. And now hopefully I'm a smaller ass, you know,
0: you're half assed. No, I'm, <laughs> uh, no, but it, it, like, that's the thing. I think that's the line between, I think that's a line of professionalism. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't really care about my ego anymore. I, I'm very serious about doing this. And it doesn't mean you're not playful, but I'm serious about doing this well and getting better at this. Yeah. And i like one of the things I say, I say now working with clients and, you know, corporate communications and creative and stuff, if they have a good suggestion, I'm just like, hey. Or there's something I'm like, I'll steal a good idea from anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my, my job is to deliver the result. Mm. My job is not to be the genius. And, yeah. and, and so much so that now when someone says, wow, you wrote that really well, my response now is as long as I've been doing this and as much money as I've made doing it. It, it, it damn well better be, it better look effortless. Like yeah. if it doesn't, there's a problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should be paying someone else.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. Nice, so- Yeah, maybe there's a lesson in that for who we choose for our martial arts instructors as well, right? If somebody makes it look like it's an enormous effort and they're having terrible trouble with it and they're trying to convince you of their expertise. Maybe you need to go somewhere else. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, like if you spend, it's it's like when I talk when I try and explain Systema, which is uh, an impossible task. Um, that's <laughs> sometimes
1: that's uh, why this I, podcast so, exists. Oh, that's <laughs> so if
0: you really want to learn how to fight, like yeah. depending on how you do it, it's maybe three years. You know, like you know, if you want to learn like what you think fighting is, and then after that. Uh, or we're six months if it's compressed and painful like and then after that you got to find something else to do with this training mm-hmm. otherwise i like think you're, you're 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 bored but mm-hmm. I, I will add one one more thing that that's been interesting to me because uh having some small kids and growing a business and um i hadn't been able to do as much training systema training i suspended the classes for a little while as i would have would have liked and I thought that I wasn't making any progress. I mean, I was still doing some breath work and some, you know, some stuff on my own. But what I did and what I've been doing a lot in Rough House is playing with kids and playing with six to 12 kids who are trying to, you know, kill you and you have to put put one down
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and not have them all land on each other and whatever and be very gentle when you do it because they're children.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, I've started up classes and I've got some some big boys from Stanley County, you know, 240, 260. Yeah and it's like that parameters of power seminar right what, the way i would summarize that uh and there's so much in that um is make sure you need to you don't need to use all the power that you're using yeah and what's been very interesting is i now move people so much better mm. so i'm trying to play with them like a kid mm. i'm not trying to it's, it, it you just need less power you yeah. know and it's really, i've learned so much. From that kids' class, and for years I thought kids' classes were stupid in the martial arts, mm-hmm. but I've learned so much, Glenn. I can't, I can't even. Maybe we'll get together and you'll be like, oh no, you really haven't learned much. No, you <laughs> <laughs> make your own, but I can do things I couldn't do before.
1: Yeah, if I excellent, man, that's great. Well, I look forward to the next time we get together, probably uh, our seminar with uh, with Emmanuel uh, in January, yeah. uh, if not before, and that'll be grand. But so, so any. Parting thoughts, any advice for people who are just kicking off um, in their system training and um, and looking to go the right way, or with people who have been training for a good, you know, 10, 15 years as you have, and and they wanna keep it fresh, um, any any one thing that you feel like people should bear in mind?
0: Oh, we're, we're losing the network connection here. Uh, for beginners, I would say take the pressure off. I think that beginners sometimes, they, they try so hard and they feel like they should do really well right out of the gate. Hmm. Um, I, I it's the same thing that I would say to white belts in Aikido. I'm like, calm down. Yeah. Nobody expects to know anything. You should just have fun for a while. Like, um,
1: there you go. go yeah. I can play So just have fun for a while. There you go.
0: Yeah. Go, go back to playing. And then, um, I've heard multiple stories about people who got dramatically better in Sistema and they, they, they were training, you know, for a long time. Um, Mark's got a, got a story about a guy who was training with, uh, Martin, And he, I can't remember, but he went through some really rough life stuff. And the next time Mark saw him a year later and the guy just tore him up on the ground. He says, what have you been doing? What have you been working on? He's like, nothing really. I just, I just come to class and train because I just need a break, Mm -hmm. you know? So maybe, maybe sometimes if you're, if you're dedicated to getting better, maybe some of that emotion gets in the way. Mm -hmm. So I would say for advanced people, like maybe just go or, or. I noticed when I got much more humble, like I'll come to the seminar, and I'll feel like I haven't been training that much. And all I'm trying to do is regulate my breathing, my movement, keep my structure, you know, just not do anything overly stupid. Yeah. And that's, that's what enables me when I, when I do that successfully, mm. uh, that's what enables me to do good things. And I'm I'm like, I shouldn't be able to do that. Whereas I feel like before I would try and do things like that. And is this making sense? Like just yeah, try absolutely. and
1: maintain. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, the, the effort, um, puts you in puts you in a place where you're not actually present right you're thinking about what you want to do you're trying really really hard and you're not just enjoying the moment and absorbing and getting the information like you're saying you know um, enjoying being better at training by taking in more information per unit time yeah definitely great so um if people want to find you if they're in the kind of charlotte matthews area and they either want to find uh adult system of classes with you or um that sounds really suspect now i keep it that way but adult system of classes <laughs> or or kids classes through uh roughhouse and um, where would they find you online what's the best place? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so uh, Sistema Matthews mm-hmm. uh, is would be the site for that. Um, there's a couple of people teaching. Roy is teaching, and I know you've had him on the podcast. And yeah, I, he's a great training partner and a great instructor. I, it just depends on what end of town you're on,
1: honestly. Yeah. Um, Charlotte's a big place, uh, so yeah, getting across town is not easy.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, you can find that at roughhouseplay.com is the kids program. Mm-hmm. And I hope to be putting uh, some materials together so other people can play those games. And here's a game that I haven't had a chance to play. You should try this.
1: Okay. <laughs> Again, I'll steal any idea. <laughs> I'm happy okay. to do
0: so. I call it I, – I, it's, it's Whip Tag.
1: Oh, I've played that one. Yeah, that's my son's favorite one in, in Systema Family class. Yeah. yeah. My, okay, oh,
0: yeah. Emerson loves to play the whip game. But I just think an adult class where you're like, okay, here we're going to play tag – you have to go whip somebody. Yeah. You would warm people up in five minutes. They would all be exhausted.
1: <laughs> yeah, they really move. it
0: yeah. hit, and then you're pissed off, and then you're like, I gotta get them back, and they would just, just <laughs> a little tornado of motion. and just be totally relaxed in about 10 minutes. <laughs>
1: awesome. Well, we got one more system of family class for the year before we close out, so I think I'm gonna bring the whip tomorrow, so we'll see how that one goes. <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess come up there and see the see the family class and see what you're doing.
1: Grand. yeah, likewise, be- man. House. Let's see how Rough House has evolved since last I saw it, it'd be really fun. All right, well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. And maybe we can get you back on at a later date and you can keep us updated as to how Rough House is developing and and how your kid-derived skills are ballooning into the world.
0: (laughs) We'll see. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you very much, uh,
1: Patrick. Merry Christmas. To you too. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Systema, please visit us online at www.ncsystema.com.